Hello, welcome to the Flow Artists Podcast. My name is Ran Bowen. Today's episode is a recorded conversation between myself, my co-host Joe Stewart, and Paulie Daniele of Mindful Body and Spirit. As you will soon hear, Paulie is a multifaceted teacher who facilitates a wide range of classes. Boxing, Qigong, yoga, Pilates and meditation, all of these are in the toolbox of physical and mental disciplines that Paulie loves to share with the world. In this conversation, we learn about Paulie's Italian background and how his personality was shaped by being the youngest of seven children in the family. We also learn about how Paulie keeps himself energized and inspired through his personal practice, art and other hobbies. And finally, we learn about Paulie's earlier career as a school teacher and how that informs his approach today. It's a cracker of a conversation and Paulie's enthusiasm shines through. Before we continue though, I'd like to just quickly ask that you please subscribe to us on iTunes, Podcaster, Stitcher or wherever you find your podcasts. It would really help us get the word out there. I'll be back at the end. Stick around for our picks of the week. Perhaps you could tell us a bit of your background and, and maybe where you grew up, what your childhood was like even. Sure thing. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, thanks for having me. Grew up in Preston, so not far from where we are Nice and today. local. Yeah, and I still live in Preston as well. So, yeah, grew up around Preston. My parents came from Italy when they were young and my dad, his family landed like typical Italians in Carlton and in Brunswick and then my mum grew up in Northcote. Mm-hmm. So my mum's, my mum grew up just around the corner from here actually behind All Nations Park. Oh, great. Which actually was numerous other things before it was a park. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It so, must have been quite interesting seeing this whole area evolve over the years. Definitely. Mm. yeah and continuing to evolve yeah Yeah. and yeah seeing that firsthand and experiencing it firsthand as well did you have a lot of brothers and sisters growing up yes i'm actually the youngest of seven so there's three brothers uh, sorry four brothers and three sisters and i'm the youngest so i like to think that i've got a good mix of yin and yang yeah nice (laughs) yeah so big family yeah and so were you that kind of youngest child cliche of being like the cheeky naughty one um it was more kind of by the time, and if there's any other parents out there with, with lots of children could identify with this, I think by the time you've had seven kids, it's kind of like you can do whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, um, the energy was a bit more, or the focus, I guess, of my parents was a bit more spread out by the time you've had seven, seven kids, so... Yeah. So were you always kind of like a physical, like, movement-orientated kid growing up? Not really. Like, my default is definitely not. I'm definitely more mental. I don't know if that's an Aquarian thing or... But not really. Like, growing up, I played football, but that was more just kind of like... Kind of because you had to. You're a boy, you've (laughs) got to go play football. And it was kind of like, I'd rather be reading a book or something. So not really. Played football and basketball and stuff like that growing up. But not not really as a, as a child, I guess. Yeah. It's actually one of the things I really love about teaching yoga in schools now, that there is an option that's not competitive sport. Because I feel like if when I was a kid, like I wasn't that physical either. Because like sport was boring. Yeah, for and, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think I've maybe always been a bit more of a, a little bit of a loner kind of and preferred more solitary pursuits than than team team games i guess which is probably why i run my own business yeah yeah yeah. and also why yoga and meditation makes so much sense correct yeah yeah and that connection to self and exploring the self and when did you come across your first yoga experience yeah yeah so i mean look to link to the last question i mean i wasn't necessarily that physical as a child i mean i did grow up a lot I mean, there was a time when you could ride your bike around and just kind of hang out on the street and and kind of come home when it got dark. So did lots of that kind of stuff. And when I was a teenager, I guess, you know, kind of growing up with older brothers in the 90s and the noughties and, and that, 
And I guess probably today for a lot of young guys, going to the gym and getting buff is kind of a real thing, you know, um, and, and we can kind of deconstruct that another day. <laughs> but I got into that. I got into bodybuilding, you know, which is really what it was. And after a while, after a few years of doing that, and I think it was while I was doing my first fitness course, doing a Cert 3 in fitness, I realized, hold on, my fitness isn't balanced. You know, I've got strength and I've got, you know, the aesthetics and all this kind of stuff, but I've got no flexibility. I've got no real cardio fitness. It's all superficial, basically. So were you not feeling good in your body, even though your body was looking really good? It was, yeah, yeah. Like, might have looked healthy, but definitely wasn't really healthy. And I would probably argue that bodybuilding is probably one of the least healthiest things in the whole kind of fitness or wellness kind of world. And so I remember doing that course and thinking, hold on a second, I'm not balanced. This isn't right. I'm going to the gym six days a week pumping weights. Where's... There needs to be something else. When you were doing that, like, did it feel good as you were doing it? Look, it did. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I enjoyed the, the creative aspect of it. And I still enjoy not bodybuilding today, but resistance training or, or bodyweight movement stuff. And just the creativity that comes with being in your body and just basically inventing exercises, you know, like I guess what Joseph Pilates would have yeah, done, you yeah. know. So I did enjoy it, but there was also, it was basically a pretty thin veneer of maybe insecurity or something like that. It's like a hyper-masculine way to kind of have an identity, something like that. So I was actually at uni at the time when I first did my first yoga class and I was studying teaching and doing an arts degree at the same time so I was pretty intellectual kind of time and there was a fair bit of like mental stress I guess that came along with it but also at that time in my life I think I was quite fertile to new ideas and open to new ideas and I remember one night being at the one time being at the gym and seeing yoga was on the class timetable and thinking to give that a shot it'll probably help me with my flexibility but i'll just i'll just give it a shot and i can remember back to the the actual first class i went it was a really beautiful summer's night the sky was kind of pinky orangey just really kind of nice balmy warm breeze and went to this class and i think it was me and maybe one other person in the class and struggled physically like wasn't open physically because of the years of resistance training and bodybuilding and all of that But mentally, and I guess spiritually, I was kind of like, what is this thing? Like, what's this all about? And just feeling quite high afterwards. And the main thing for me was that it quieted my mind during that time of studying and, you know, science. Yeah, packing so much in there. Yeah, and it was just kind of like, whoa, hold on, my head's clear. This is great. (laughs) And then I went back the next week and then kind of kept on going back and then brought friends along and was kind of like, hey... This is great. And then funnily enough, years later, I ended up teaching at the same studio as my first yoga teacher. Oh, like, nice. Oh, my God. Like a full circle kind of thing. And yeah. even the way your memory of that night is so clear, like you must have just been really present after that class and just in the moment. I think so. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So that was kind of where it all started. And I remember like borrowing a couple of books from the teacher. I was kind of like, I wanted to know more probably studying you know doing a humanities degree and was kind of interested in philosophy and things like that I was like what is this yoga thing what's it all about and I remember yeah reading a book and kind of grasping some stuff and I remember just reading one particular book don't can't remember the name but it was just about the breath and I just had this insight where it was like you can do anything in life as long as you're conscious of your breath or as long as you're breathing you can do whatever you want whatever you set your heart to it really seems like it was this link between your physical practice which is purely physical and purely aesthetic and your intellectual practice which was like at university learning and philosophy and then like yoga is where that really comes together yeah yeah definitely and then i think yeah the human aspect of it you know i was teaching and after my teaching course i did travel for a while and it was kind of yoga is an intersection between all of that kind of stuff being a good human being basically living a good life to me that's what it what it is really all about and that doesn't necessarily mean getting onto a yoga mat no, no. I mean, I think the ideal is when your yoga is coming off your yoga yeah. mat with you and out into your life. Correct. 
Do you want to tell us a little bit about what it was like starting out teaching? Because I know my school classes are my most intellectually challenging but rewarding yoga classes. Yeah, yeah. I look, look, for me, I really struggled because I empathised too much with the students and I wasn't really that much older than a lot of the students. Like, they yeah. might, you know, I might have been 23 or 24 or something like that and the students were like 17 or 18 and it was kind of like there's not really... And I almost... At that period, maybe I didn't have the maturity or something like that, but I identified more with the students, which was maybe what originally set me on the path of becoming a teacher to begin with, was being at school and thinking, hey, I could do that job, you Mm. know? And I did struggle. I struggled with being in the education system. And I learned very early on that if I was going to stay in that system, I probably wouldn't be happy and I probably wouldn't really be living out my purpose. Like what drew you to teaching wasn't actually what you spent a lot of your time doing. Yeah, like I love teaching, but there's unfortunately there's too much politics and bureaucracy and just the, the, the weight of the system. And I could just see that if I was going to go down that path, it was also a lifestyle factor, I think. I think I value freedom and independence. And I think in that system, I was struggling to put that together. How good that you discovered yoga teaching. Yeah. You want to take us through the long list that I've seen on your website of all the different movement styles that you've studied and maybe share a little bit about what you've got out of each one. Yeah, well, I guess for me, basically everything that I, I guess, offer as part of my business, they're all modalities that have directly, I've had direct experience of and they've been beneficial to me. So I almost feel like I won't teach something unless I really, truly believe in it. Oh, totally. What's the point? (laughs) Yeah, so for me, there's there's a whole range of things. You know, I've got the, the I've got the fitness related stuff. I've got yoga and the Pilates as well, and they're all kind of mutually beneficial. I I, I feel. Now I've also started teaching qigong. For those that don't know, it's quite a similar practice. It's called like the grandfather of Tai Chi. So it's like a simple, gentle form of movement to cultivate your your life force. Um, what else is in there? And then also it's more... boxing, right? Yeah, also boxing, yeah. <laughs> boxing, functional movement stuff. So things like with kettlebells and, and body weight training and also the more, you know, meditative kinds of things as well and, and things that maybe uh, are more related to energy healing and... Yeah, there's Reiki in the mix. Yeah, Reiki, yeah. 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 And, and Reiki, it, it should be said, isn't just a hands-on healing modality it's 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 actually its own system like yoga is its own system of of let's say enlightenment of living of being in tune with your intuition it's its own kind of path as well would you like to tell us a bit about what your reiki training was like because everyone i know who's done it has got really good things to say about it yeah look it's interesting it's is it a training is it look basically reiki is Something that we already have within us. So it, it, it is, for want of a better word, your chi or your prana or your life force. And when you go and do a, a course um, in Reiki, you learn more or less how to switch that on in yourself and in other people. So it's already an innate ability that we all we all have. But you're basically, you get, attune, you get an attunement to that energy. So a person, the Reiki teacher, will attune you to that energy and then you're perceptive to that energy and then you're able to activate that and work with that. And it is quite a subtle energy. So it is an energy that you actually work with, but it also very intuitive. So things start to take place in your life that kind of, you know, you'll realize on a day-to-day basis and that's the energy as well. That's that little message that that energy is flowing well for yes, you. Yes, yes, correct. Teaching a variety of things works for me as well. I'm wondering how you navigate the change in headspace from maybe leading a Reiki session or a meditation to going to teach a boxing class or a functional fitness class. Yeah, look, it is interesting. Some days can be quite varied and on the whole, because they're things that are pretty, they've become second nature to me. So, look, I've, I've almost, um, I've basically gotten to the point where it's all movement. Yeah. It's all movement. I'm, I'm pretty hesitant to say, this is yoga, let's stick it in that box. This is Pilates. This. For me, it's all physical movement in the body, whether that's boxing or whether that's doing a yoga class. So, the headspace-wise in terms of the day-to-day, look, it keeps it inter- interesting. It has taken me a while to kind of fine-tune fine tune that. And it can be a bit different 
energetically from going from one class to another class. These days I probably only do more real high energy things like boxing or fitness stuff more on a one-to-one -one or small group. I've found that teaching maybe a class of 30 or 40 people a boxing class, my energy level isn't really suitable for that these days. Like my... Yeah, it would be so loud. Yeah. Like I could still turn it on, but... And also you can have an identity crisis. Like if you're working in a particular gym and you're known as the yoga and the Pilates guy, when you take the boxing class, it's kind of... People don't kind of buy oh, it. Oh, people it's don't go like, to that mm. class. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of like, yeah, but he's the yoga and the Pilates dude. And then if the spin instructor takes it, it's kind of like a natural fit. Yeah, yeah. So I still use those modalities, but if, if, if it's essential for the clients, but less so on a large group basis. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And are you a teacher that pre-plans their sessions or a go-with-the-flow uh, teacher? Very much go-with-the-flow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Usually for... A, so my main the main classes that I teach would be yoga and Pilates. So for a week, I'll have kind of a theme. Yeah, theme of the week works for me yeah, as well. Yeah, and, and the thing is, though, it's really funny. When I first kind of started teaching, it was very clearly kind of like, all right, this is the yoga class, this is the Pilates class. But now the two, it's kind of, well, all right, we're doing back bends in the yoga class, we're doing spinal extension in the Pilates class. It's more or less similar, similar, very similar things. So that's kind of how I operate. I'm very much an instructor who's at the front of the room because I need to have a kinesthetic experience myself. I'm very much informed by that in terms, of, especially with sequencing. All right, we're doing child's pose and then where are we going to move to from here? All right, let's thread the needle, that kind of thing, feeling through. So I do that and look, because I'm teaching to a broad range of demographic, like in one, one week, I could be teaching a seniors class. So I'm teaching one thing for the seniors then maybe later that day I'm teaching a corporate class and then maybe later that afternoon I'm teaching, I don't know, let's say year 10 boys. So it's, you need to be flexible and dynamic and just kind of feel into your situation. And that's really the mindfulness aspect of it. You know, you could come in with a pre-planned script but you've really just got to work with what's happening around you, you know? I think that's the part of it that's really fun. I believe so. And when so. you're, like, just riding that yeah. wave of energy from yeah. the group, that's yes. when you feel amazing afterwards and you're, like, really in tune with everyone there. Definitely, definitely. And my natural tendency is not to plan things and it's just to kind of more or less feel into it while I'm there. I won't say make it up on the spot because I, I, it's not necessarily that, but it is going with the experience that's unfolding at And that also, time. like, you have a history of movement exercises and sequences to draw from, yeah, so right. it's not like you're just making it up on the spot, yes. even if you haven't planned it out beforehand. Yes. and the big thing is, I was thinking about this on, on while I was riding my bike here, uh, is I need to go with how I'm feeling at that time. And that's why now I think it, it, with my schedule, I... I kind of no longer really take on a class that's not suitable or suitable to that time of the day for me or something like that. So say something I may have done in the past would be like a hot vinyasa class. These days I'm probably less reluctant to take on a class like that because it means I'm a bit too stuck to sticking with what that class is as opposed to what's actually what the potential of what could happen mm, you're not at really that time. Strength. Yeah, or where my head's at or where my body's at and, and, and rolling with that. I find for me personally, things flow better in class if I've had a really good dose of my own practice first. How do you fit practice for those different yeah, disciplines yeah. into your week? Yeah. Well, look, I've just I've started to look at everything as practice. Life is practice, you know. I sprinkle little rituals and practices throughout the whole day, and and that's from across the entirety of things that that I do. And I'll wake up in the morning, and there's a little ritual that I'll have in the morning that I do when I wake up to greet the day. And would you uh, mind sharing? Yeah. So you? it's it's basically my my practices now have have become an amalgamation of yoga stuff, qigong stuff, and reiki related stuff. So for example, I would wake up in the morning open the blinds, not do a full sun salutation because I did try that. I thought, no, this isn't sustainable to do every single morning for me. So what I would do, the first thing that I would do is I would wake up and I would do a forward bend. And then as I stand up, bring my arms over the head and then chant, oh, 
because that's that's my the mantra that I've been given. So I'll work with that. And then another thing that I'll do after that is it's a, a bit of a qigong technique, which is similar to dry brushing. So you basically rub your hands together and then wash over your body just to really bring me into my body. And then the third thing that I do is what's called in, in qigong and even in reiki, it's a similar practice of, they call it connecting the three treasures or the three haras or the three dantian. So in the traditional Chinese system and in the Japanese system in Reiki, there's three chakras. So your your navel, your heart, and then your third eye or your head. So I'll just connect with each of those, have a breath at each one, and then I know I'm ready to start my day. And then during the day, before I teach, I'll do more or less a variation of that throughout the day. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. Do you do anything else to warm up physically or is that enough? No, in the morning that's usually enough. I have tried different things over the years, but that usually seems to be enough. And then I will meditate most days. And that's pretty simple breath-based meditation or just chanting om or, or mentally repeating om and a few other different pretty simple meditation practices that that seem to work for me. Are there other self-care practices that don't happen every day but are a really important part of your regime? Yeah, definitely. I think going away camping and getting out of the city is really important. And I mean, look, with my job, I'm running a mobile business, so I'm kind of, I can be here, there and everywhere in, in one week and there's nothing better than getting away from the city and going to the bush or going to the beach or something like that and just getting away and just chilling out. So that's a big one. What else? Quite like tea. I stopped drinking coffee about a year ago and I've just oh, good for you. discovered <laughs> a whole abundance of teas. So tea is really good. What else? Do you do much massage or foam rolling? I find or... shiatsu is quite good. I get shiatsu quite regularly. Foam rolling, yeah, I'll, I'll regularly foam roll and even I go to the chiropractor at least once a month. Another big thing that I do is just hanging off monkey bars mm-hmm. just to lengthen the spine out. That's that's a real little trick. And the shoulders. Yeah. yeah, and the shoulders. That, And I also do things like might get a Reiki treatment myself or work with another kind of subtle energy. Another one that I've worked with a few times is called Palawa, which, which means um, a radical shift of consciousness. So you, that's a good modality to turn to when you feel like you're a bit foggy and you just need a bit of a shift and then that's a that's a good kind of self-care thing what else kinesiology i find is quite helpful um do you go to a kinesiologist that's more energetic or one of the more biomechanical ones because they can be quite varied right? yeah probably more energetic it's a range of things i mean you can even be working with things like affirmations in a session and and sound as well yeah it sounds like that they get the tuning fork out but it all depends on what i'm kind of in the mood for you know sometimes just going for a walk is really is really a mindful walk yeah yeah or just listening to a podcast as you're going for a walk is really good yeah how about food and eating wise? Yes, yeah, so I've recently made the transition to a plant-based diet. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, which is good, but which has been an interesting experience and is a continually interesting experience. And that's, I won't say it's constant work, but you kind of... You need to eat a lot more food. Yeah, you need to. Yeah, and you just need to... And you also need to be quite flexible with things. And I've found that unless you're going to kind of lock yourself away in the cupboard... You need to be quite realistic about about that, you know, and... There's definitely, like, a level... I think if you aim for ultimate purity in terms of yeah. what you eat, you end up in all these situations where there's nothing on the menu correct, for you, correct, and that's not always the best choice. Yeah, and body. especially if you're travelling and maybe you're getting out of... I mean, go 20 kilometres out of the city and the, the vegan options are pretty limited, so... You have to be prepared, let's say. Yes. Yeah. Always snacks in your bag. Yeah. Yeah, so... Do you have a favourite go-to snack to kind of top up between classes? I've probably got nuts. Yeah. Yeah, I've, yeah I have a, a wide range of nuts every <laughs> day. And vegan protein shakes, which are pretty good. And, yeah, I mean, look, the, the thing is we, we are blessed in Melbourne. You can have a pretty inexpensive, healthy vegan meal you know I, I do eat lunch out most days oh it's one of the treats of being a yoga teacher yeah. you're in a different spot every day <laughs> for exactly lunch right. yeah. yeah and you discover a whole new world of things that are that are out there so yeah that you got to build these little treats into your day yeah it's really good definitely and your intermittent fasting as well yeah yeah so i aim to fast 
you know, on a good week, I'll aim to fast like on a Monday and a Friday. So then it's kind of a bit of a buffer for the weekend. It's not every single week, but that that's also been a really interesting practice as well. That's definitely one of kind of mental discipline. The ironic thing is when you fast, you actually have more energy. And I've had some really interesting times teaching, especially a yoga class where I've been fasting during the day and just amazing thing i'm just downloading amazing things from the cosmos it's like whoa where's this coming from because it is a traditional yogic practice yeah, as well. yeah so and a good friend of mine got me onto that and i've since been playing around with it and i've i've found you know things that are helpful for me is like maybe having a green smoothie throughout the day and herbal teas to kind of keep me going or just you know a bit of soda water things like that that are really helpful and i find with the fasting you need to be busy but not too busy because if you're just sitting there at home, it's too easy to say, oh, maybe I'll fast tomorrow. Let's have that <laughs> coconut yogurt, you know. I've actually wondered about it teaching because even if I, say, have missed a meal and then teach a class, often I've just really not felt good in that class. So I've mm. thought, oh, it would be a nightmare. Like, how would you get through that day of teaching mm. and not just feel dizzy and have trouble making sentences? But often oh, it really works for it's- you. Probably the, well, I would say it's probably more enjoyable than you've had too big of a meal before you go to teach a, a yep, Pilates class and doing well. core exercises. Yes, yes. Like, oh, shouldn't have had that curry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, it can be a little bit dizzying at times and you need, to, I mean, but I guess what I'm doing in the day today can be quite grounding anyway. So that's a, I guess, say, for example, if you, you have that moment where you're getting a bit, you know, caught up in your head and then you, you know, you're doing something physical that's there to keep you grounded and yeah, to allay the side effects of it. Yeah. yeah. But also just sitting with whatever happens when, when you're, you're doing a practice like that and seeing it as a practice as well, you know. I guess like setting an intention, planning your day like that mm. is quite different than not having time for lunch. Yeah, then... you need to be prepared. And the other thing is when you fast, because you're not eating that day, that's completely off the agenda. We spend so much brain power worrying about what yeah. are we going to eat? What are we definitely, what am I especially lunch? when you're the vegan on top of that? Yeah, you don't have to be that much so it's just kind of like, well, today you're not having lunch, you know. So, what I normally do is I'll do a 24 hour fast, so maybe have dinner, you know, Thursday night and then not eat until dinner time Friday night or some, something along those lines. And look, there are times when your body just kind of says, look, we need to eat now. Mm-hmm. And there's even been times where it's been. Mentally, you're like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. And your body's like, give me something to eat. And it's been kind of, it's been like, I could have a hot dog right now. Like, just whatever. Give me anything. I yeah, something, something I never usually want yeah, to put in my mouth. exactly. It's all, it's all an interesting process. Yeah. <laughs> I see that you do a lot of formal training. I'm wondering what you do, whether that is what you turn to when you feel like you need some more inspiration in your own teaching or if you've got any other go-tos when you just need that little inspiration boost. Yeah. I guess for me, it's often getting away from, I, I get a lot of inspiration from removing myself from my day-to-day situation and actually getting away from yoga and Pilates. Fresh perspective. Yeah, just going for a swim or something like that and then inspiration will, will hit. Formal training, I guess for me now because I'm kind of operating more as a business, the formal training is kind of what services would I like to maybe add to my business and they're usually things that, you know, close to my heart or very close to my heart or becoming, you know, a part of my day-to-day life. I think most teachers have got a little bit of a wish list of, oh, if I had like unlimited time and money, Mm. I'd do this training, I'd teach, I'd learn with that teacher. Have you got any that you kind of are your dream I would probably, no, I would probably say that life's the greatest teacher and Mm. I would probably want to travel if I had, you know, say an unlimited amount of money. I mean, you can just learn so much from just... You know, an old lady at the bus stop or something like that, you know. You don't need unlimited money to learn from an old lady yeah. at the bus stop. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, the other thing is, well, I guess I've <laughs> I completed, what, five years of formal study at university. So I'm a little bit kind of... Done that. Done that. And possibly even a little bit disillusioned with what's become of, I guess, the commodification of the whole education industry. So... It would be more informal stuff these days, I think. Unless it's really something where it's like, no, I need to go and learn that thing so then I'm able to, to teach it and offer it and share it with other people. Are there any key teachers who do really shape what you teach today? 
I think at the moment my Qigong teacher is really quite inspiring for me. Cole Betts from oh, oh, Pursuit of Wellness. Oh, how sexist of me. was a man. Yeah, who's actually... Um, actually, most of my teachers have been female, which is probably not too unusual in the wellness world. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm finding just that she really holds space really well and she's able to really f- facilitate a mindful and down-to-earth and fun practice so i'm really enjoying that at the moment other key teachers and the other at the moment i've recently got into a a, um, another movement modality called zoo z-u-u and a good friend of mine david mummery he's he's a zoo coach or instructor and that's really been quite good it's it's based on animal movements and primal movements and we do a session bright and early on a saturday morning and it's probably the most hardcore thing that i do in terms of my own practice, but it's the one thing that gets me out of bed the easiest, which is quite interesting. I think he's sets the bar quite high and it gives you something to aim for. And then that's quite an, an inspiring thing as well. And it's really inspiring as well to have that feeling of kind of transcending that sleepy Saturday morning and yeah. really being in your body yeah. and kind of extending yourself. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I guess for me, yoga, you know, Hatha yoga or yoga asanas is not really about that for me. For me, it's more about the mental side of it. So I'd like to maybe push myself in other areas, in other, in other modalities. For me, yoga is more about calming down, chilling out. Mm-hmm. Whereas I, I'll, if I want to rev up and do something that's a bit more hardcore, I'll do that or I'll go to the gym and put my headphones in and put some underground techno on and just, you know, hit the boxing bag, those kinds of things. But for me, kind of, I guess, the, you know, things like yoga, it's, it's not really the space for that for me personally. Do you feel at all that some of these different movement modalities, learning them, do you think they've influenced your yoga teaching at all? Definitely, yeah, for sure. I mean, look, because I put everything... These days I put everything under the umbrella of movement. There's things now that I... And look, everything's influenced by each other, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Like Joseph Pilates yeah, studied so yoga. yoga and, and then now there's even... You look at yin or, or even some some poses, you know. Um, I think there's a yin pose, the seal, which was the, the swan from Pilates. And it's kind of like this feedback loop. And... I find that it's all interrelated. So when even if I'm doing zoo stuff, even some of that borrows heavily from yoga. So for example, you know, doing a real deep, deep squat. In a zoo class, you do that as a dynamic movement or you do what's more or less a vinyasa. It's not called that, but it's I'm able to bring things. I guess for me, I'm really interested in bringing other things into yoga. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm probably more interested in the broad scope mm-hmm. of movement practices as opposed to depth of yoga practice perhaps you know I would I and most things fit quite easily it's pretty easy to insert qigong movements into a into a yoga class or pilates movements or yoga movements into a pilates class so nowadays it's there's sometimes when I'm I'm teaching and depending on the class it's kind of like all right this we started off doing yoga and then now we're doing this, which is really probably Pilates. And then, but that's Qigong. And you just mentioned that thing, which actually comes from Reiki. And then it's all just kind of, I guess, who you are, what you in, what you embody is what you end up teaching, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think when you're in that creative flow, it's kind of like, well, why wouldn't we do this movement now? This person's got, you know, kyphosis and rounded shoulders. Why wouldn't we get them doing, you know, a Superman or something like that? Yeah, it's. I guess it's about what what's what people need really and it comes back to what you're teaching i think it's it's who's writing in front of me right now what do they need what do i have in my head that can help them and there's sometimes when i'm doing a pt session it's kind of like let's just do pilates stuff because these people their posture's really out let's do that yeah, it's um, like we need to do that before we even put in some more yeah. strength stuff so they've got that foundation yeah under. and i think for me it's like as long as people are moving like i'm not i'm not too much of a purist anyway it's like as long as people are moving they're actually doing something mm-hmm. let's just let's just go with it yeah i think as well as a teacher it's actually a lot kinder on your own body to be teaching a variety of movement definitely, styles you're definitely. better able to avoid those kind of definitely. overuse injuries yeah. i learned that pretty early on in the piece you know say for example 
you're teaching a Pilates class and you're targeting glutes that week. Mm-hmm. And then by the third class, you, you can't even physically do the that sequence of movements because your, your glutes are too tight. And because Pilates is so specific as well. Yeah. <laughs> but in saying that, I think that's why, uh, I guess, if you're teaching different modalities, so you might be doing the strengthening stuff more in a Pilates session, but then you're teaching a really gentle, you know, Hatha class where you're stretching the whole time and you're able to, you know, untie those knots in your own body. So I think that's part of the lived experience of it, you know, teaching even some days where I might teach maybe there's, you know, a day where I've taught four yoga classes. By the end of that class, it's kind of like, you know, I'm a little bit over this. My body's telling me, you know, we need to do something a little bit different. And your body does tell you. I remember one time when I was teaching a lot of classes, like, you know, somewhere up to 20 or something like that. And I just remember having like a thumb issue, a niggling thing, and then like a wrist, and then like an elbow thing. And it was just my body's way of saying, just back off. Yeah, too much. Too much. Yeah. I don't know if you get this as well, but when I've been teaching too many classes, I get really sick of the sound of my own voice. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, look, I'm very, I, I try not to talk a lot. I try not to talk too much whenever I'm teaching. I'll, I'll definitely, there's nothing worse than going to a class yourself and the teacher's just banging on and on and on and on. And that's maybe a bit of a trap you fall into earlier on because you're kind of like, oh. I've got to tell them everything. Yeah, yeah. And then after a while, you're just like, no. And then you realize your own voice. You're just like, but that's good because then you have, you come up with more creative ways to say things and you're not repeating the same thing over and over and over, which is good. So for example, if you're doing a simple movement like, you know, little circles with your wrists or something like that, and then you're going through each joint, Instead of always saying, okay, let's go that way and then back the other way. And then after the, you know, you get down to your knees, it's kind of like, okay, let's rotate to the left and then to the right. And then you've got to just work out ways to convey the same information, but without basically sounding like a broken record. (laughs) I think you get better as well at scanning a room and seeing which cues are actually needed yes. rather than just saying the same ones every Definitely. time you teach that pose. And I think the more you look at your students and the people that are right in front of you, the more you realise you don't even need to say half the stuff you don't even need to say. You know, it's really unless maybe there's new people in the room or, you know, it's just, it's, it's actually a bit of a waste of energy. So another aspect of teaching yoga, which people often aren't aware of unless they do it themselves, is all of the behind the scenes, admin, mm. promotion, business stuff. Yeah. Have you got any advice for other teachers? Any things that have really worked for you navigating all of that? Yeah, look, I guess for me, and the admin is, is a big part of what goes on behind the scenes of everything. I think for me, I've gotten to a point now where I basically work Monday to Friday and then after that, that's it. Like the weekend, I don't want to know about it. I just switch off from everything. Oh, it's um, so good you've got it worked out like that. Yeah, because, and the reason why I've got it worked out is because I was working seven days. And I did kind of think, hey, this is a great lifestyle and I'm getting paid to do my dream job, which 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 I am and which we are. But it was kind of like, but this isn't really that helpful if you're always, you know, on your phone answering emails on the weekend and that kind of thing. So for me, I've basically worked out how to just, for me, I've, because it's such an unconventional job with unconventional hours, I've slowly, slowly, slowly over time begun to pack it down so it is more like a conventional nine to five job where it is kind of Monday to Friday, that's it. After that, I don't want to know about it. And also because you have energy reserves that you can teach five classes Mm. in a day so you Mm. can condense your teaching schedule a bit more. That's right. And for me, it's kind of like, well, when I'm working during the week, I'm working, that's my workload. And then on the weekend, it's time to just relax and disconnect from all of it. And for me, that's the way that I've found balance. Do you set aside a day each week for admin or do you just put it in the spaces? Usually, yeah, usually. Like, look, some days you have big chunks and you might have, you know, three or four hours up your sleeve or something like that. And so you, you... I just do things whenever I can do them during the week. Sometimes there are, there are times in the weekend where you end up doing things. You might need to have a meeting with someone or you might you know, need to have a phone conversation and you can't avoid that. But on the whole, I try and just stack my days up as much as possible as opposed to teaching seven days a week, 
teaching down to four, you know, four, four, four days or so like that. And then maybe the Fridays an admin day if possible. And then doing stuff during the week whenever, whenever possible. And look, it's, I mean, look, to be honest, credit to Apple. I basically run a business off of an iPhone, you know, like you can pretty much do stuff yeah, you on can do the that go. From anywhere. Yeah. And I mean, especially if we're looking at things like social media, I'd rather just generate organic content when I'm doing something and just kind of do it that day. I'm working, I'm in work mode. I've got my uniform on, go, get it done, done, that post is done, and then you're kind of quiet on the weekend and you don't have to think about it. And also social media is a lot more fun if it you're actually inspired about the thing that you're posting Correct. rather than going, oh, Friday social media day, yes. what am I going to post about? Yeah, and I, look, I know some people kind of plan their their content and stuff. For me, that's just, that's not really how I operate. It'd have to be a bit more of a, okay, I've just taught this amazing class. Maybe I'm at a cafe, maybe I might post something about my day and that's kind of you know that's it or have you got any i don't know if you spend much time looking at social media but have you got any online inspiration that you like to dip into through the day or is that not really your thing no probably not i guess my own kind of instagram account it's very much wellness related i look to be perfectly honest i might take a peek at some of my competitors for inspiration there and just see what other people are doing and just kind of i mean i could say competitive but maybe maybe another way you look within your community yes yes. (laughs) i look within my community to see maybe what other people are doing or just how people are kind of going about promoting you know similar things to what to what i'm doing do you tend to play music while you teach and if so any current musical inspirations that get you going yeah usually i do like i was actually looking at that um last night just going through some playlists and kind of re retuning stuff i guess I, I play a range of stuff depending on the class i do i will choose a, a playlist to kind of set the tone or the emotion Usually what I do is if I've got a kind of theme or a class for the week, the playlist kind of helps that and it will even to the point, and this is probably from working in the fitness industry where you have things like Body Pump where they're actually choreographed to the music, I'll design a playlist um, around that. So, you know, you might start off really quiet with some ambient kind of music or something really instrumental if you're starting off with some meditation and then maybe slowly build it up. It always depends on the demographic as well. Like I'm not going to be really playing electronica to, you know, my seniors class. Sometimes I might. I try and play stuff that's not too invasive. I do quite like a bit of classical. Max Richter, who did a, it was a, it was an eight album, so eight hour album called Sleep. Oh. Yeah. And so I've, I have been using some stuff. From, from that which that sounds like quite, it'd be great for a yin type perfect class perfect for a yin type class yeah so that's really quite good and then sometimes I find it's really good not to play any music and just go with the silence and just be comfortable to, to sit in that and I think because usually I will play music it's quite nice when I don't play music and every now and then, you know, your Bluetooth speaker dies. And it's mm. kind of like, great. No yeah. <laughs> Universe has made that decision yeah, for and, me. Yeah, and that creates more opportunities for mindfulness as well. Because then you can actually say, well, let's listen to the birds chirping outside. Let's listen to the rain. It's a really you nice know? thing about teaching outside as well. No yes. music, just sounds of nature. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. When I first started doing stuff outdoors, I, I would maybe bring music along. But now it's just like, no, that you've got everything you need right there. That reminds me of the the time we were at Bali Spirit Festival and one of the teachers, he had this whole playlist worked out and (laughs) and he actually had sort of backup yoga. um, Yeah, he had backup yogi, yoginis. Wow. Like babes in like little bra tops and little shorts. Wow. And then then uh, the music just died just moments before he's supposed to go on and... uh, and the festival staff were hilarious. Like, he was kind of having a fit about it. Mm. And they were just completely unruffled. He was like, when's my music going to come oh, back on? Wow. And they were like, mm. yeah, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, it's an interesting environment to teach in the festival. So someone from the audience sort of volunteered to go and get his drum. And so ran off, came back with this amazing drum and a ridiculous hat. And just... <laughs> Drummed the whole... Oh, great. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, was, to be. it was amazing. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was great. That's great. That's great. <laughs> so it was a happy ending. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think you can be too too married to, to things like music and mm-hmm. playlists and it, it can almost even detract from what you're actually doing. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. mm. 
I think it's a little bit like the same trap as having a really intricately planned class when something yeah. goes awry yeah. and you're not kind of used to responding to what's actually happening in that moment yeah, and right. your plan's yeah. gone out the window it can be really yeah. hard to kind of keep yeah, things on track exactly right yeah true and the the opposite of that is true when you haven't planned enough and you're trying to maybe intuit your way into something and it might not be happening and it's kind of like oh let's go to child's post for <laughs> <laughs> right yeah oh, that's right yeah have you got any advice for people who might be just starting out in their teaching yeah I guess listening to a great podcast like this is probably, oh, probably a good resource. Um, I guess wherever possible, you know, talking to, like say, for example, if you're maybe doing a teacher training course and, you know, you go and do a regular practice, maybe talking to your regular teacher and just maybe getting a bit of insight and talking, talking to them about, you know, the lived experience of embarking on this whether you want want to do it as a full-time career or whether it's going to be a kind of passion project away from your full-time job i guess talking to people look a big part of it is you've just got to really go out there and have a crack really i mean that's 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 my motto in life the great australian have a go you yeah. mug, you know? <laughs> um because there's a lot of things that might be lessons that only you can can learn and mm. and some mistakes that are really going to shape you as a, as a teacher. And I think stuff, I think that can make you quite uh, resilient. And it can also, sometimes you need to go down a particular path to realize, hey, maybe this, this street's not for me. I'll come. I definitely went there with doing festival workshops. I kind of thought, yeah, this is going to be great. And this will be a good way to kind of boost my business and raise my profile. And for me, it was a bit of a dead end. It was a great experience, but it was kind of like, this isn't really what I need to be doing in my life at the moment and this these aren't really the people that i need to be of service to at, at the time and i think going out there and learning those things and having that experiential knowledge and then reflecting on that is is a, a great way to grow as a as a teacher and i guess even though teaching at festivals isn't what you want to do that practice of teaching to a really large group in a noisy environment where yeah. there's a lot of other things going on yeah. around, yeah. like that ability to hold space will help you Definitely. teaching in other yeah, places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, that was great fun. I mean, I come to think of it now, and it is, it is quite fun, that kind of environment. And you're right. And I guess the main thing is, and for me, having done a teaching degree, you, you, your skills are portable. You take them with you wherever you go into, into whatever area of life you, you move into. Is there anything that you feel like you might have learnt in your teaching degree that isn't necessarily mm. covered in most yoga teacher trainings that's really helped you? Yeah, I think possibly the whole idea maybe of reflective practice and constantly kind of inquiring into your own teaching on the spot and then when you when you leave so you know as you're teaching being kind of i guess almost metacognitive of what you're what you're teaching how you're teaching and then reflecting on that and then learning from that and growing growing from that probably those kinds of things do you write a diary about any of that or is it no i don't it's more just i'll think about might come up in meditation probably things of that nature and i guess probably things like catering to people's different learning styles or their different needs or their abilities and i guess really catering for a real breadth of demographic just to dip into the different learning styles in case people haven't encountered that so would that be things like demonstrating something for a visual learner yeah correct so yeah use it so i guess I mean, the typical breakdown is usually, you know, people might be more dominant visually or they might be more kinesthetic or they might be more more auditory and also having an awareness of your own dominant style. So for me, I'm, I'm auditory. I could go to a class and do the whole thing with my eyes closed while the teacher's instructing and, and get it. Whereas other people, they need to see what the hell is a bridge? What's what's he banging on about, you know? Whereas other people are more feeling... And we, we, we all have a mixture of, of the different kind of styles or tendencies but just being really aware of those kinds of of things and not just pitching it to one particular person or one particular ideal and so maybe you say if someone's not getting your instructions having that thought of oh i might just need to show them in their own body or i might need to demonstrate this right next to yeah and there's a good concept i remember it was scaffolding for people so say for example if you were teaching an English class and you need a student to write an essay, but instead of just giving them the question and saying, write the essay, you give them guiding questions. And it's about working 
from where people are actually at, where are they actually from? Say, for example, if you cover a class and it's kind of like, what do you actually regularly do in this class? You know, oh, we're doing a pretty, pretty strong vinyasa flow. All right, let's work with that then. If that's what everyone's kind of comfortable with, We'll go from there as opposed to, you know, I'm the teacher, I'm I'm putting this on, on you. And I guess it's about facilitating, not even seeing yourself so much as a teacher. It's like we're in a learning environment, I'm facilitating it and, you know, I could be learning. Even learning so much from the student, seeing yourself as the student and the, teach, the student as the teacher and learning from the student. I find that that's really, really helpful. I find you get a lot of that as well in your like one-on-one or one-on-three really small group classes where you've got that really close relationship with someone and often working with something specific in their body if they're healing an injury, like you learn so much at the end of that process kind of. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And just being able to read where people are at and their, you know, their situation. I think you alluded to it in an earlier episode of, you know, you might be doing a private session with someone, but they might just want to be talking about their day at work. So you just got to kind of go, all right, let's just pause the sequence. He's telling me about what happened in his day. Let's just run with that. And then that actually adds to the experience of what you're teaching anyway. And I think that whole thing of getting to know people is really fundamental when you're teaching or running a business or operating in this kind, this whole sphere. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a human-centered, heart-centered interaction. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Say someone walks in off the street and they've never been to one of your classes before. What is the one thing that you'd like them to take away from that class, from your teachings? That's a great question. I guess the main message that I like to get across is to listen to your own body. And especially if you're going into that environment. Possibly even if, say, if you were a male, male, male specimen and you might think I'm doing yoga and you have a competitive mindset and you're thinking I need to be doing what the person next to me is or can I actually rest or do I just need to keep powering through? Really, I think listening to your body, it sounds so cliche, but actually listening to your body and knowing that you're in a space where if you need to rest, you can rest. Or if you want to really smash out those vinyasas, you can go for it if you want, if that's what you really want. So I think... Just being in tune with with your body, I think that would probably be the biggest, one of the biggest messages, I think, yeah. That's all the questions we have for now. <laughs> Thanks very much, boy, that was no great. Now it's time for Pick of the Week, and my Pick of the Week is a book named God, A Human History by Reza Aslan, and he is a scholar of religion and he also hosted a TV series on CNN called Believer and he's got some great stuff there so I urge you to check it out and I'll leave a link in the show notes. My pick of the week is an album that I stumbled upon. Jay Boogie's Dubtronic Science is the group <laughs> and the album's called Soul Vibrations and it actually came out in 2008 and I was looking on iTunes for another album called Soul Vibrations but like <laughs> Jay Boogie's Dubtronic Science was such a a tantalizing proposition <laughs> that I just started playing it and I bought it and it's kind of my current jam. I've been really nice. enjoying listening to it. That's great. Yeah, my pick of the week would be one of the most simplest things that any of us can do, especially those of us living in the city, is to take your shoes off and put your feet on the earth, whether that's on the grass or whatever little patch of land you've got around you and just ground your body into the earth can I take a few breaths while you're doing that and um, just let go of some old energy and take some new energy into your body? That would be my pick of the week. Nice. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, no worries. So there you have it. Another great conversation with an inspiring teacher. As always, if you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to reach out to us at podcast.flowartist.com or email us at podcast at flowartist.com. We're Flow Artist Podcast on Facebook or at Flow Artist on Twitter. We would love to hear from you. The theme song in this podcast is Baby Robots by Go Soul and used with much appreciated permission. Do yourself a favor and get his music from gosoul.bandcamp.com. Thanks again. Big, big love. <laughs>